Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to talk about the sort of like the the, the epic uh, conclusion to to the story of uh, Joseph and his brothers, Joseph and his brothers, and uh, just the clarity that that kicks in on, on, on a number of different levels. Um, before we do though, just to contextualize it with the calendar and the time, I just want to tell you a, a Hanukkah Torah that um, that kind of fits in with this and which um, I was just so amazed to hear this Torah. I, I, I love this Torah. I heard it from Rabbi Kufer, who's uh, associated with the Maimonides School here. And when, when I heard it, it's like, it's one of these, these thoughts that you, you would imagine that you would have grown up with, much less, you know, already heard. But, but it, somehow it seems to be new to everyone who I'm telling it to. So, so anyway, this is from Rabbi Kufer, and, and, and he points out something uh, very interesting. So... I think most people know, but if you don't, it's a, it's an important Jewish idea that the 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 that when God says in the in the in the Torah, vayhi or meaning let there be light, He's not talking about the light of the sun, right? That's not talking about the sun, the constellations, anything like that. That was talking about this this amazing, amazing, amazing exalted light called the we call it the Or Haganus, which means the light that was hidden away, actually. Um, and so there was this tremendous, tremendous light. And, you know, when, when we talk about, like, the next world and things like that, we talk about us basically basking in God's light. That's, like, one of the ways of, that we describe heaven or bliss or whatever it is. Just remember, you're not in a body anymore. And your soul itself is kind of like light. Your soul is energy. And so this energy orb that's you gets plugged into this like more exalted high wattage energy orb and that's just like this amazing amazing blissful ecstatic experience right and by the way never ending never ending in terms of the ecstasy of it um rabbi green uh pointed that out to me that it's sort of like you don't just sort of like um plateau in terms of your level of pleasure in in, in heaven that it's just constantly just sort of like going up and up and up and up and up in terms of never getting boring, never getting normal, actually. You know, it's just amazing. So I guess that's why they call it heaven. So anyway, um, so that's this initial light. Now, God said, you know what? It's not right that those who aren't righteous should be able to bask in this light and participate in this light. So I'm taking this light, which I'm bringing into the world on day one, and I'm setting it aside for, for the righteous in the future. Okay? And that's why, again, it's called the Orahaga News, the, the hidden away light. Okay. So, so the first day of creation on the Jewish calendar was actually the 25th day of Elul. Um, it's not Rosh Hashanah. A lot of people get confused and they think, no, Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Tishrei, that's the first day of creation. That's actually the sixth day of, of creation when human beings were created. Okay, but if you count back six days, that's the 25th day of Elul. Now, everybody knows that when you light the Hanukkah candles, that that's a return of the Or Haganus. Like the light of the Hanukkah candles, that's that original light that's sort of like filtering back into the world. Now, let's look at the days because it's very interesting because Hanukkah every year is on the 25th day of the month of Kislev. Okay, so isn't that interesting that the first day of creation is the 25th day of Elul and Hanukkah is the 25th day of Kislev. 
And if you were actually to count from the 25th day of Elul to the 25th day of Kislev, it's 89 days. And that's when the Or Haganuz, this original light, returns. Now, amazingly, Hanukkah is the Gematria 89. So it's exactly 89 days, and, gemat- and the Gematria of Hanukkah is 89. Like, the, the, the precision is, is unbelievable. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So, again, this Orhaga news, it's, it's, it's all about clarity. It's all about clarity. And we get clarity in terms of the resolution of this story, because this Egyptian taskmaster who's torturing, essentially, psychologically torturing this family, the, the, you, know, the, you know, Jacob and his sons, and he's now just taken Benjamin captive, who, who Jacob, Yaakov, has said that if, if I lose Benjamin, I'm going to die. So basically, at this point, Benjamin has been taken capture. Yehuda has promised that, that you know, I'll give up my life in this world and the, and the next world if, if, if I lose Benjamin, if I'm not. So the entire Jewish enterprise, this like family, starting with Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov now, and all of a sudden, the, the entire enterprise is falling apart in front of our eyes. It's all, it's, and then, all of a sudden, at like the worst moment, you know, Yehuda steps up and he just, just implores this taskmaster, please, please let, let, let my little brother go. And then all of a sudden, we all, we all know who that taskmaster is, it's Yosef. Yosef reveals himself and he says, Ani Yosef, I'm Yosef. And all of a sudden, in terms of clarity, everything the brothers have been going through, everything that everyone's been going through, suddenly makes sense. Like with those two words, Ani Yosef, I'm Yosef. Because in a million billion years, that's the last person who they ever thought that it was. And I saw in a, in, from the rabbis that at the, at the end of days, at the end of our life, that God is going to say, Ani Hashem. God is going to say, I am God. And that everything, just like when Yosef said, Ani Yosef, and everything fell into place, when God says, Ani Hashem, everything is going to fall into place. All of historical events, every event in our own lives, why everything had to be the way it was, is all instantly going to make sense. Again, clarity. Clarity. Um, there's so many lessons that we learn in terms of just being able to apply them to our, our, our lives just on a practical level, just us here right now. And I just want to go through two of them right now that, that, that we see from, from, from Yosef that are really, really astounding. Um, one of them is that a- after Yosef has revealed himself, he's speaking for a while with the brothers, and we're, we're going to go back to that section in a moment, and, but he looks at them and he sees that they, they still are not grasping or still don't fully believe that he's Yosef. So he has to, like, you know, really make the point, you know. So he says to them, he says, listen, you have to, you have to hurry back and you have to tell my father of all of my glory here in Egypt. 
And it sounds a little bit strange because, you know, we, we, we don't just refer to him as Yosef. We always call him Yosef at Tzadik, which means Yosef the Holy One, Yosef the Righteous, right? So it seems a little bit strange that he's been just jonesing all this time for his father to find out how famous he is. You know what I mean? It seems weird. It doesn't really seem to sync with, with just the level of Kedusha and holiness that you, you know it is. And, and he was a very humble person as well. So, you know... How do you get this whole thing? Run to my father and tell him how, how, about my glory. And he says to them that your eyes see and your ears hear that I am Yosef. So, so if you look at the Rashi there, Rashi points out, again, he's trying to explain to them that, um, that, that he really is their brother. So, so Rashi says that when he says your ears hear, that's because Yosef is speaking Hebrew to them. And everyone else was just speaking Egyptian. So if he, they speak Hebrew and he speaks Hebrew, how does he know Hebrew? So clearly, he's Yosef. Okay, that's interesting. And then what's also interesting is he says, and your eyes see. Now remember, Joseph at this point was just with his brothers. And Rashi brings that in this private moment, he showed them his bris milah, his circumcision, the fact that he was circumcised, which was not an Egyptian practice at all. It was just among the Jews. And so they were circumcised, he circumcised. This was, this was proof that it really is Yosef. It really is Yosef. And so now within this context, we can understand what Yosef really meant when he said to his father, tell them about my glory. What Yosef was trying to tell them the real message here was, look how I've remained unchanged. Look how I've remained, like, basically still the person who I was raised to be. And how I didn't change, even despite the fact that I was in this, like, palace, in this palace of idol worship, in this palace of all sorts of craziness going on, that I remained straight, that I remained upright. And that's the glory that he wanted his father to understand. And, and so, so again, how does that apply to us? We're exposed to so many different um, competing ideas, competing philosophies, competing temptations, and things like that. And really, the, the, if, you, if you use Yosef as a role model here, what was the greatest, in his own mind, the greatest measure of his own success was the fact that he remained who he really was. And that he wasn't corrupted by his, by the society that he was living in, and so that's that, that, that's an amazing thing if 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 we can achieve that too. Um, and now, just to go back for a moment, um, what Yosef's first reaction is when he's when he reveals himself to his brothers, um, and tells them that he's Joseph. So, so keep in mind. You know, it says that Yaakov's image is, is sort of chiseled onto the Kisei of Kavit, the throne of glory. That he sort of represents the idealized human being. And by the way, he, it's not just him and not Abraham, or him and not Yitzchak. He's sort of representing Abraham, Yitzchak, and he himself is Yaakov. So, just always important to keep that in mind. But anyway, so, so, the, the Pasuk says uh, a couple of parshas ago, 
Ele Tonos, Yaakov Yosef. These are the generations of Yaakov, and the very next word is Yosef. So Yosef, we understand, was an extension of, of Yaakov. And so if we really want to appreciate Yaakov's greatness, the more we appreciate Yaakov's greatness, we have to, in tandem, appreciate Yosef's greatness. Because Yosef was an extension of Yaakov. Okay? Yaakov was, Yosef was awesome, 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 awesome. And somehow his brothers hated him. Somehow his brothers hated him. And there are reasons why his brothers hated, why his brother hated, brothers hated him. And they sold him into slavery. So you can imagine, like, you are like a special person. You are like a, a, a unique person. You, you might actually be the greatest person in the entire world in terms of your generation, right? And people aren't getting you at all. And not only that, but they sell you into slavery. And you're in an Egyptian prison for 12 years. What was that? Right? So, very hard life, actually. You know, we, we always make this point, but I don't think we can ever make it enough. We, we tend to think in, a, in, in America, especially like just living in a very sort of coddled society, that the manifestation of greatness is the ability to avoid any pain whatsoever. And yet, if you look historically, and especially in the Torah, but really historically in any great person's biography, what you see is people constantly confronting horrible times and dealing with them and rising above them. And that that actually is the formula of greatness. Not that you somehow were able to outsmart hard times, but that you confronted them head on and were able not to be devastated or destroyed by them, but rose above them. That, that's greatness. That's greatness. That's, that's what Yosef did. That's, that's what Yosef did consistently until he found himself climbing this ladder of dreams all the way up from the dungeons of Egypt to the palace. And now he's face to face with his brothers for the first time, for the first time. And what's he going to say to them? What's he going to say to them? You know, what did you do to me? Or do you see now? Do you see now who I was? What is he going to say to them? A whole chunk of his life has been, like, spent in jail. Who knows what he could have been doing with those years? What is he going to say to them? Now, now he says, Ani Yosef, and then he says, look at this. The first words he says after Ani Yosef, because he's looking at them and they're absolutely dumbfounded. They can't wrap their minds around what's just gone on. The first words he says to them, this is so beautiful. Come close to me, if you please. Can you imagine? Like, he's not distancing them. He's, he's bringing them closer. And it says, and they came close. Right? You know, you can say, come close to someone, but if you've got like a, a, a dripping bloody knife, the person is not going to walk toward you. <laughs> They're going to walk. They're going to run in the other direction. 
So in other words, how beautifully did he say it? How heartfelt and sincere was he that they actually came close at that moment? I am Yosef, your brother. Not I am Yosef. I am Yosef, your brother. It is me who you sold into Egypt. And now listen to this. And now, don't be distressed. Don't blame yourselves for having sold me here. For, for it was to be a provider. Remember, because God uh, was able to upend the famine that was going to bring the whole world into starvation. For it was to be a provider that God sent me ahead of you. Right? And then just skipping down a little bit. Thus God sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival in the land and to sustain you for a momentous deliverance. So, so I think that this is like a very, you know, you know the, the name of this series, is it's called Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. And, you know, life gets pretty crazy, but I, I don't know if any of our lives have been as intense as Yosef's, maybe in different ways, but in his way, it's pretty amazing. And what did he do? He took this horrible chapter of his life, and instead of blaming it on other people, he said, you know what, it was from God. And God had something in mind for it. God had this idea that he's going to bring a deliverance through it. And to the extent that we can do this also, to basically say, look, if there is, if the only thing that exists is God, and on the deepest level, that's the only thing that exists, is God. And there's only one power, and it's only God, that ultimately everything comes from God. Now, it doesn't mean that... um, that the people who have done us wrong in our lives are blameless. That's not the conclusion. That's not the conclusion of this. Because God can bring things into the world many, many different ways. So we have a a, a teaching from the Talmud that says that God brings good things into the world through through good people and bad things into the world through bad people. So it didn't have to be brought into the world through them necessarily, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it did have to be brought through the world through them. But certainly in terms of the hardships that we experience, to the extent that we can ultimately say, you know what, it's from God, and that God meant something good from this. Because the reality is is that each person is a miniature of the entire universe. And we believe that if you save one life, it's like you've saved the whole world. And that's including saving your own life. And that if you can rectify your soul, your soul is a microcosm of the entire enterprise. So if you can rectify your soul, you're bringing clarity and deliverance into the entire world simultaneously. That's why it's an amazing thing. If you, if you can do anything good, if you can do anything good, it reverberates throughout the entire cosmos. So whatever hardship we go through, and I'm, now I'm not talking about blame or anything like that, but whatever hardship that we go through in terms of our lives, 
all of it ultimately is meant as a way to correct our souls and to fix our souls. And so if we can fix our souls, then we are bringing a great deliverance into the world. Again, this is not to excuse people who've hurt us, but to broaden our minds to understand, like, if Yosef at this moment could be saying this, if Yosef of all people could be saying this at this point, he's providing us, he's being an incredible role model. And, you know, it's sort of one of these semi-tragic things, but One thing that I've observed is a lot of times we hold on to anger and even hatred thinking that we're getting that other person back by staying mired in anger and hatred. And the reality is, is that person isn't even thinking about us at all. And we are the victims of our own negativity. We're stewing in this, this acidic sizzle, right? while that other person doesn't even care and isn't even thinking about it. And we wrongly think that. We're getting them back by making ourselves miserable. (laughs) And it's like, just let it go. You know what I mean? Ultimately, because it's not actually productive. It's not constructive. Doesn't mean that they are blameless. It doesn't mean that they're blameless. But we have to be somehow um, a little bit more um, uh, efficient in terms of the use of our life force, in terms of proceeding with our lives and, and, and developing coping mechanisms that are actually healthy. Um, there's, there's another teaching. Uh, Yaakov comes down to Egypt and and he meets with Paro, right? So you've got basically the art scroll commentary here says the spiritual king of the world meeting with the secular king of the world. <laughs> Very epic meeting that's taking place between the two. And Paro looks at Pharaoh looks at Yaakov and he he looks really old. And so he says to him, he says, uh, how many, are, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Yaakov answers, at least the first part of his answer, I thought was very interesting. He says, the days of the years of my travels have been, and then he gives him his age. In other words, he asked him, how, how, how many are the days and the years of your life? And he answers, the days and the years of my travels. And I thought that what was interesting about that was that it was almost like Yaakov was telling him, do you think that this is my life? (laughs) My life goes way beyond just the fact that I'm in a body or that I'm currently like on planet Earth right now, in this dimension right now. This is just the days and the years of my travels right now. This is part of a much more exalted travel that... I'm involved in right now. And and I think that that's, you know, it's just such a healthy way to view our own lives. It's like, that's this is just, this is like the furnishing expedition for our eternal, like, condo. 
So like, can you imagine this, this act of love, like put this tremendous waterfall in my backyard, right? <laughs> and, like, and this act of charity, like, you know, like furnished like all the rooms with like, like I got hand painted murals by Van Gogh in every room, you know, it's like every, everything that we do here has an implication and a, and a direct effect on what our eternity is. And Robertson Freeman shared something which I thought was very beautiful, which is that that basically this lifetime is is where we get to decide what we want to be for all of eternity. <laughs> so just definitely making the distinction between this being our life in the here and now, and this just being one leg of our travels. Um, another point. Uh, is 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 at the beginning of the of the chapter itself, and we, we started by saying that you know the Or Haganuz is coming at the culmination of Hanukkah. Throughout Hanukkah, this original light is coming back, and that this is really a sign of clarity and everything like this. And and the parsha begins with another epic meeting, um, which is Yehuda is confronting Yosef, and you know. W- Kabbalistically speaking, we have sort of like a map of the cosmos that that allows us to sort of see like kind of like all of reality and on a, a much greater canvas. So we have these the ten spherot, and again, each of the spherot are basically um, they're basically just bundles of light, bundles of energy, and um, and they all sort of interact seamlessly, but they have all different qualities to them. Each one has a different quality to them. And ultimately what God is doing is he's condensing his light until it becomes solid, until it becomes material. Which again is this very Einsteinian idea that E equals MC squared, that that energy becomes mass. Okay, so God is sort of like taking this aspect of his light, which is energy, and condensing it into the physical universe, which is mass. Okay? So when we talk about the sphero, sometimes we talk about the ten sphero, but they're divided into the upper three and the lower seven. So sometimes we're just talking about the lower seven because the upper three are so heavenly and exalted that sometimes they're not as relevant to our discussion. So in terms of the bottom seven, that can be divided up into the top six and the bottom one, okay? The bottom one is the realm that we live in here. It's called Malchus, right? Now, in terms of the tribes, that would be like Yehuda, okay? Because Yehuda was the king. Malchus means kingship. And then the upper six, that's sometimes referred to as Zer Anpin, right? And that's Yosef. So another way of saying the upper six and the lower seventh, right? Or is a simple way of saying that is heaven and earth. Be a very simple way of saying that idea. So when you have when you have Yehuda approaching Yosef, you have earth approaching heaven. <laughs> and what happens is they come to a, an agreement, which is an amazing thing, because that's basically what this entire enterprise called reality, called world history, called exile, called whatever name you want to put on it, is basically just bringing heaven and earth together. That's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to bring heaven and earth together. 
And so here you have at a, at a human level earth confronting heaven. And they actually click. And they actually come into agreement. And they actually come into clarity. And then comes this revelation, Ani Yosef, which is the ultimate shedding of veils from this world, where you actually see the truth and the logic and the inevitability behind everything. And that's how the Parsha begins, right? And so all the rest is just sorting through the details, which we're still doing (laughs) at this late date, at this late date. Because every once in a while when we sort of get things sort of pretty much organized, someone zooms through on a scooter and all the papers fly around again. Then we gotta sort of reorganize it, reorganize it in a in a better way. Um, so, so I'll tell you, just to just to bring it into this week's parsha. And I remember learning this, you know, kind of after I'd been learning this stuff for a number of years. I, I learned this, and it, it kind of broke my heart when I learned it. Which was that after Yaakov dies, Yosef's brothers send Yosef a note saying, um, basically, please forgive us. And Yosef says, I forgave you years ago. What are you talking about? And what the brothers thought was that Yosef really was waiting to take revenge on them all of this time, but just wanted to wait till their father died until he did it. And that's kind of heartbreaking because when we read this story, we want to feel with all of our hearts that the family has gotten back together again. And then we find out this thing at the end of next week's Parsha, kind of buried in the details there, that the brothers, maybe, I mean, this is just me talking, maybe never forgave themselves. Maybe never forgave themselves. Because Yosef, I think we, we really do believe, genuinely did forgive them. And, and he reacts like with sort of like shock, like, what are you talking about, forgive you? Right? So, I'll just put this out to us and maybe we'll just wrap it up on this note. What if, what if, when you think about that horrible thing that you did that you've been kicking yourself over all these years, right? All of us have one or more of those things. What if the person actually forgave you a long time ago and you just never forgave yourself? How sad would that be? Right? Or, what if the person actually never forgave you, but you also didn't forgive yourself? <laughs> you can at least forgive yourself if you did everything you could to make amends. That much is still in your power. That much is still in our power. And you know, For Yosef to be able to have said to his brothers, you know what, it came from God. Ultimately, it wasn't you. It came from God. Do you know what that means? That means Yosef would not have been able to say that unless he also forgave God. 
You know, we talk about getting God's forgiveness all the time, but that also includes us forgiving God. And there's, I heard from Rabbi Wine many years ago. I don't know if he said it was a medrash or whatever it was. But you know, back in the day when people traveled from place to place, they had saddle donkeys, right? They, they would have, um, you know, they, donkeys were called beasts of burden because they'd carry large weights and you'd strap on bags and bags and bags and bags. So there's, there was this guy riding on a donkey and he was holding on either side in his hands two heavy suitcases, right? And someone came to him and said, why aren't, why aren't you tying them onto the donkey? Right? So, in other words, the, the example, the, the metaphor that Rabbi Wan was saying that this was communicating was that a lot of times we, we believe in God, and yet, while believing in God, we continue to carry our own burdens. <laughs> but why? <laughs> if you're going be- to believe in God, then believe in God. Right? Say, you know what? God knows what he's doing. Ultimately, it's, I, it doesn't mean I understand it. doesn't mean I understand it. doesn't mean I even necessarily agree with it. But if God is God and God is doing this and I believe in God, then you know what? Let's just, let's just say it's going to be okay. One of the brothers who heard the talk came up to me afterwards and shared this insight with me. And I thought it was so beautiful. I, I wanted to make sure that I, that I recorded it and passed it on to you guys. So as we, as we mentioned, um, Yehuda approaches Yosef. Um, at the beginning of the Parsha. And w- the, the name of the Parsha is um, Vayigash. That means to, to approach. And, and we talked about how, um, spiritually speaking, that was like earth coming to heaven. And then we mentioned that when, when Yosef reveals himself and he tells his brothers uh, to come close, fascinatingly, um, that's, and by the way, if you want to see this, this is uh, verse uh, 45 or rather, chapter 45, verse 4. Um, it says, So, he, Yosef tells his brothers, come close. And it says, and they came close. We discussed that. What's so beautiful here is that Gishu and Vigashu are the same words. It's the same words as Vayigash, so, which is what we see at the beginning of the Parsha with Yehuda coming close to Yosef. So he said, spiritually speaking, Yosef and, and, and Yehuda, that's like heaven and earth. And so the Parsha begins with, with earth approaching heaven. And here, because it's using the exact same word, you see that Yosef, who's standing for heaven here, is beckoning earth to come close. So it's, it's, a, it's a very beautiful parallel. First, earth comes close to heaven, and then heaven beckons earth to come close. And then it says, and then they came close. So this, the, the, the symmetry is, is so beautiful, is so beautiful. The, re, the repre, re, reprecas, repreca, hmm, okay, <laughs> the, the bilateralness, how about that? Uh, um, 
Anyway, that was from Brother Pinchas, and I just wanted to share that with you.